Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Bradley Woodworth. He is the coordinator of Baltic Studies at Yale University and assistant professor of history at the University of New Haven. His research interests include the social and political history of the multi-ethnic Baltic provinces and the broader northwestern regions of Imperial Russia, including St. Petersburg and Finland. Today we'll talk with Professor Woodworth about the most recent volume he co-edited with Karsten Brugaman of Tallinn University, entitled Russia on the Baltic, Imperial Strategies of Power and Cultural Patterns of Perception. 16th to 20th centuries. Welcome, Professor Woodworth. Thank you for inviting me. Let's begin with you giving us an overview of the book. Tell us about it. Right, so this book is a collaborative effort. Mm -hmm. uh, 17 scholars are involved. And these are scholars that have been writing over the last few years about the historical relationship between the Baltic region. Uh, this is uh, understood in our scholarship here is the mm -hmm. territories that today comprise these states of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Okay. The scholars are writing about this region uh, with regard to its relationship with the Russian Empire as well as the Soviet Union in new ways that breaks with scholarship that had dominated in, in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. for, for decades, the scholarship, the historiography about this region uh, focused on imperial uh, domination from the capitals of St. Petersburg in the imperial period and in Moscow in the Soviet period, with the Baltic region and its peoples being more or less passive uh, recipients of this uh, domination and violence. Now, m with my co-editor, we'd never downplay in any way uh, this history of violence, particularly in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. uh, but we feel that now with 20 years after the fall of the Soviet Union, it's time to reassess the broader and deeper historical relationship between uh, the imperial center and this particular borderland of what was a very multi-ethnic Russian empire and Soviet Union and look at it in new ways and see what areas of the historical relationship have been maybe uh, misunderstood or, or uh, downplayed because of this rainy paradigm mm -hmm. of violence and domination. Now, how did you go about, um, did you invite these people to provide you with paper? Did it grow out of something else? or How, how did the right. book actually get written? Well, so between the two of us, we have a lot of contacts among scholars working on uh, the Baltic region, as well as uh, the multi-ethnic Russian Empire. Uh, we attended conferences uh, in Europe on Baltic uh, affairs and Baltic mm -hmm. history, as well as in North America. Uh, and from several conferences, we saw some uh, commonalities in approach among these scholars, and so we approached them about this idea and, mm -hmm. and found a publisher in Bulao. And uh, the project took a little bit uh, longer than I think we had uh, anticipated, mm -hmm. but we're very pleased with the result. Okay, let's talk about some of the um, perceptions or insights that the book brings to light. Right. So uh, the main one, as I mentioned before, is that uh, the relationship between an imperial center and its, uh, its, its peripheries, mm -hmm. uh, the Russian Empire had a number of peripheral regions on its borderlands in the north, 
on the west and on the south, and then later in the 19th century acquiring Central uh, Central Asia. Its history with Siberia, also mm -hmm. historically a non-Russian region, go, goes back a number of centuries. Uh, the historical experience with these non-Russian areas was central to the identity uh, of the Russian Empire. Uh, with the region that we're studying, we've, we're determined that um, in the last couple hundred years, mm -hmm. we, the relationship, though has in this historiography been dominated by this uh, discourse of, of violence and domination, there are a lot of other things that were going on. Okay. Um, so uh, we're hoping to reopen uh, these questions of the relationship between, between center and periphery. Mm -hmm. Now, when you were um, editing the papers, did you come across anything that was particularly surprising to you? Anything you weren't expecting? Yeah, um, I think one thing that was a little bit unexpected is how long it took to, to, to produce the book. How long did it take? Well, it took about five years, actually. Okay. The, some of the papers were originally uh, delivered in 2007 and 2000, uh, 2008, I believe, and so we approached the authors and started working on them. And I found that the process of putting together a multilingual volume mm -hmm. uh, with, a, with a publisher outside of the United States and authors who, uh, whose native language ranges uh, across the board. We had authors from six different countries and I think, I guess, five different languages. Mm -hmm. uh, really was a time-consuming effort because we wanted to make sure that the final product reflected the quality of the research of those scholars. Sure. So we spent quite a bit of time uh, working on, on those chapters and editing them and working, going back and forth with the mm -hmm. authors. Uh, among the 17 chapters, nine are in English. Uh, those are the ones that I edited, and Professor mm -hmm. Brueggemann edited the eight chapters in German. Okay. And among the ch nine chapters that I worked on, uh, including the introduction that Professor Brueggemann and I co-wrote uh, together in English, uh, there was only one other chapter that was written by a native English speaker. And so there mm -hmm. was spent a, quite a bit of work wow. working on those chapters. Quite a melting pot and quite, um, I think, a variety of perspectives then as a result of people coming from different countries. Yeah, so this is one thing that both uh, Professor Brueggemann and I have noticed. Interestingly, neither of us have uh, our own, in a sense, personal historical ties to the region. Okay. Um, this is a part of the, of the world that requires a lot of languages to understand, and so it's understandable that often uh, scholars that are interested in the region have some sort of you know, personal contact maybe within their family. Uh, but Professor Brueggemann is originally from Germany. Um, I have no uh, family ties to the Baltic region, but mm -hmm. for a number of, uh, a number of reasons found myself having I mean, spent uh, f over four years in, uh, in the former Soviet Union and three years in Estonia. Mm -hmm. So we've, we found that there were an increasing number of scholars like us that were, um, I think, probably f coming to the region with a, a new set of eyes mm -hmm. over the last few decades um, during the existence of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the kinds of historical writings on the Baltic region, um, I wouldn't say were completely dominated by this, by this discourse of, of violence and, 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 uh, and em imperial ambitions from the center you know, to, to rule and to let everyone know uh, that they were subject peoples. Mm -hmm. But it's understandable that that sort of, uh, that sort of discourse existed. I mean, the history of the Baltic region uh, beginning in 1940, when it was first occupied by the Soviet Union, all the way up to 1991, uh, was one of, of, of violence. Uh, mm -hmm. 
1941 in the summer, tens of thousands of people from each of the three countries that had been independent between World War I and World War II, here mm -hmm. speaking of Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, were exiled to Siberia. And many of those people never, of course, ever returned. Uh, many people left those countries as uh, political refugees fleeing um, Soviet uh, occupation. So even after the war ended, mm -hmm. the violence then continued when the Soviet Union reoccupied the country and again deported people to Siberia. Uh, over the next few decades, there were uh, tens of hundreds of thousands of people brought from outside the Baltic region, but fr from other, other, other areas of the mm -hmm. Soviet Union to work in new building, uh, new growing factories. And so the demographic picture of these countries changed dramatically. Uh, so far that in, in Latvia in particular, by the late 1980s, the percentage of the population living in the country that was ethnically Latvian mm -hmm. was approaching 50 percent, wow. which means that in the country that is, you know, the, the, the homeland of a, of, of a people, they could, they could have found themselves minorities. And right. the demographic picture was also quite, quite dire in Estonia. Mm -hmm. So the, the, under, the, 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 the problematic relationship with, with the eastern power of Russia mm -hmm. and the Soviet Union Professor Bruggen and I completely understand. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that from the 18th century and even earlier, uh, this was a multi-ethnic region. Mm -hmm. People of differing ethnicities, differing religions, differing languages lived together. Mm -hmm. uh, no one in the 18th century or 19th century knew that there was going to be this thing called modern nationalism, that people would divide themselves according to uh, uh, in some ways a somewhat artificial category of nationalism mm -hmm. because nation can fall along a number of different lines mm -hmm. um, dividing one people one nation from from another or that the soviet the uh, that the russian empire would even uh, collapse in world war 1 nobody foresaw that so people lived together for 200 uh, years they mm -hmm. where they worked on problems together yes there were um, there were patterns of people dominating when there was a local uh, elite in the Baltic region. These were people, um, for the most part, who had historical ties to Germany. Or rather, to, they were Germans, I should say. Germany itself doesn't become uh, a unified state until the 19th century. But one of these minorities in the Baltic region, that is today Latvia and Estonia, were Baltic Germans. And these people had had uh, long-standing uh, ties mm -hmm. in, in the country. Many of them had arrived in the Middle Ages, so they'd been there a long, time, long time. Yeah. Um, and they had developed um, historical ways of dealing with local populations. And during the 19th century in particular, and in the 20th century, those historical relations started to be overturned by the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if there was one thing that you'd like your reader to take away, what would it be? Yeah, um, a number of things. I think, I think the, the main thing that that invigorates but my scholarship as well as uh, mm -hmm. Professor Brueggemann's is this reality of multi-ethnic societies. What makes them run? Mm -hmm. How, uh, what makes them work? How, when do they work successfully? What kind of problems do they have? Uh, I can give you one example from Karsten Brueggemann's uh, essay. Uh, he writes about how in the 19th century, when Russia was beginning to have a stronger hold in the Baltic region, mm -hmm. um, a stronger presence, the uh, Russians who were uh, writing about the region, and this included uh, historians, included publicists and, um, and, other, uh, and other writers, uh, were very much attracted to the region. This was a region that had a higher level of culture, a higher level of, uh, of literacy than mm -hmm. Russia proper, uh, and they realized the strong role of, of cultural, culture bringers, Kulturträger, that the Germans had been. Mm -hmm. 
But on the other hand, they were trying to reimagine this, uh, this multi-ethnic area as something that belonged to a multi-ethnic Russian empire, which itself saw, it, uh, which saw itself as having a, a civilizing mission, a mission civilizatrice. Mm -hmm. And so there was a, um, a very interesting process of, of give and take, really, between mm -hmm. um, local populations in the center in, in coming up with a, with a new identity for this region. Uh, within the Russian Empire. Mm -hmm. Another article uh, by Yevgeny Nazarov, an interesting, uh, great scholar from Russia, writes about how Latvians in the 19th century who became educated uh, to the point that they didn't always find a place for them to work in, mm -hmm. uh, in the Baltic provinces often left uh, to Russia and had careers there in, 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 uh, in postal service, in the military, across the board. Mm -hmm. um, another scholar from, from Estonia in the, in the collection writes about how in the 19th century there were uh, trans cultural transfers from the Baltic to Russia, mm -hmm. again with uh, many areas of scholar scholarship and science being at higher levels in the Baltic than in Russia. Uh, there were things that the Baltic could actually offer Russia, and one that she writes about are cultural transfers in the area of agriculture to where Baltic Germans were able to show uh, colleagues in Russia um, mm -hmm. how to make better use of the land. So w w this is the thing that has always really interested, uh, interested us about this uh, multi-ethnic region. And another, a um, couple other things I, I say come out of the, uh, of the book, and that is that uh, multi-ethnic regions really sh can't be seen, or shouldn't be seen rather, as uh, a land where on the, there's on the one hand an imperial power that dominates um, over local um, supine populations. Mm -hmm. these, are, these are shared regions. Um, it doesn't mean that everybody's living happily at the same time, mm -hmm. but they really need to be looked at uh, as a whole and not just in terms of, in this case, for example, Russia on the one hand and Baltic on the other, Russian interests versus Baltic interests. Mm -hmm. We really see them as together. This is a shared territory and we're trying to understand it uh, on those shared terms. Yeah. And then finally, what emerges from the region, so both of us have a deep commitment to the Baltic region mm -hmm. and that's all, that comes clear, I think, yes. comes out in the book, uh, but we're also trained as Russian historians. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, uh, this book, I think, um, plays a part in the, uh, really the dominant three, uh, th uh, theme right now in st studying the, the Russian Empire, and that is the issue of its multi-ethnicity. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it never got the, the, uh, the time it, it deserved in past, in past decades, particularly while the Soviet Union existed. Mm -hmm. But with the collapse of the Soviet Union, there's been a new boom in scholarship sure. about, yes. about these non-Russian areas. Uh, and so our book, I think, helps um, help scholars uh, in approaching this question. What mm -hmm. was this thing called Imperial Russia? Right. You know, was it a uh, was it a uh, a nation state in embryo? Mm -hmm. Was it multiple n uh, nation states in embryo? Was it uh, imperial center with with autonomous regions? Was it a multi ethnic empire? Mm -hmm. Well, it was all of these. Uh, it was. Various historical actors had their own visions of what it was, and I think we really have to go back and look at what these historical actors saw themselves as doing. Mm -hmm. uh, what did they see themselves as trying to create in this multi-ethnic empire? Right. And we hope our book is a contribution yeah. to understanding that. Fascinating. Do you have any other projects um, lined up? What well, are you I'm, working on I, now? Thank you. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm completing a book on on Tallinn mm -hmm. uh, in the second half of the 19th century, and it looks at some of the similar issues. This was a, a multi-ethnic city, mm -hmm. and one with where social change, a growing national identity, were all taking place at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, f I take a, a somewhat optimistic uh, view of the 19th century. 
and, and seeing it one as great, of great possibilities. And so I, I'll, uh, I'll hopefully finish that uh, fairly soon. And I'm also working on an interesting uh, fellow who probably is the most uh, famous Finn of all time. Okay. His name is Gustav Mannerheim, mm -hmm. who himself was not a so-called ethnic Finn, but actually a Finnish Swede. Swedish was, was his native language. And okay. um, he was born in what was the Russian Empire. Finland mm -hmm. was part of the Russian Empire in the 19th century. Uh, and wanted to become a military man, and he did. Mm -hmm. And he became a, uh, eventually a general in the Tsar's army. Mm -hmm. Well, he had an entire career before World War I took place. But with World War I, the collapse of Imperial Russia, Finland found itself um, vying for independence, and he, end, and he ended up entering a, a whole new career of his life, which he then carries forward for later in his, in his uh, uh, later years. He ended up as the head of the Finnish forces in World War II. But he's, another, he's one of these figures whose life isn't bounded mm -hmm. right, by, a, by either of these stories, an, an imperial center or a, or, or a, local, uh, nash, a, local, a local nation, one, mm -hmm. uh, one particular identity. It was, it was a, his, own, uh, his own life was a multi-ethnic one. Um, and the richness of that experience, and I think the ways that it can communicate, communicate to societies today um, shouldn't be lost. Very good. Thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing some of your work. Well, thank you for the invitation. I enjoyed it. Thank you. For more information about Professor Woodworth and his research, please visit our website at yale.edu slash Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.